But I really believe that we can't focus on the pain that we had, even if the pain was five minutes ago. If there's music now, if there's if there's something beautiful, if I, you know, I sit right now, I'm next to a window and I get to see a, a squirrel run by with his mouth full of nuts and I laugh, you know, that there's always something that we can find to give us joy if we're looking for it. And so that's also something that's really inspired me throughout my life. And it's the way I live my life. Bienvenue à l'épisode numéro... No, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to speak in French. What's poppin' guys and girls? Welcome back to the Chickpea Powered Podcast, the podcast dedicated to vegan entrepreneurs and all you amazing people taking massive action to create the life that you deserve and a community based around your vision. I'm your host, Oliver Zergis, and welcome back. Almost finishing my health science studies, I thought it was just relevant to reach out to this amazing woman, Brooke Goldner, not just your plain old medical doctor. I mean, she's a board-certified plant-powered licensed physician and the best-selling author of Goodbye Lupus. She's overcome a lot, and she has a lot to share in this episode. We want to dedicate it to anyone who may be doing their actions right now based on external expectations that other people have on themselves, and also to anyone who may be struggling with either moving past illness or is feeling dragged down by an emotional burden. And I promise you this episode will really break it down for you, gives you some solid step-by-step advice, nothing superficial to take action right now to overcome anything. You mentioned about how you were diagnosed with stage four kidney disease at the age of 16 years old. And I guess for a lot of people that would be that would have been a tr- very traumatic experience. Do you feel that was one of the aha moments that led you to become a medical doctor? You know, when I was sick, I, I was diagnosed with lupus at the age of 16. Okay. And so I had stage four kidney failure from the lupus, which is an autoimmune disease that attacks your own organs in your own body. And I also had all the other symptoms, the rashes, uh, arthritis, migraines, Uh, it was just, it's a really, really horrific illness in it. And it usually targets young people, especially women. And so when I was diagnosed, I think at 16, I didn't have that kind of existential gravitas. You know, like I wasn't really, it really didn't sink in that this could be the end of my life, even though they told me that if I didn't do experimental intensive treatments, uh, I had two years of chemotherapy on top of steroids and other medications that if I didn't do those treatments that I would probably be dead within six months, it didn't really sink in for me that that could really be true. I think it had a much greater, when you talk about trauma, my mother was traumatized, my Mm. father, my grandmother. I mean, I remember my grandmother on her knees begging God to take her and spare my life. (laughs) They were traumatized and I think they still are even though I've been healthy for 13 years now. Uh, But for me, it definitely was difficult to try to get through being a 16, 17, and 18-year-old in, in high school, having to get chemotherapy, having to take these medicines, having to be in pain. You know, my friends had no understanding of what it's like to try to hold a pencil when you have arthritis, you know, or needing to get a certain amount of hours of sleep not to have a migraine. Um, and what what really, I think, and it, it definitely molded my ambition to become a physician, but not so much that... Um, It wasn't so much, well, I'm sick, and so maybe I can be a doctor and help sick people. That was part of it. But for me, part of the way I coped was by becoming kind of intellectualizing what was happening to me, that if I could find interest and wonder in the human body, you know, how does your immune system forget that that's my kidney? How does your immune system suddenly stop working? And how does the immune system Mm -hmm. work to begin with? And so 
I got really, really into uh, bio biology and biochemistry because it was a way for me to really intellectualize what was happening with me. So I didn't have to be in that emotional state. And it's something my family really encouraged too, that, you know, I shouldn't focus on the disease I have. I need to focus on what I'm going to do with my life. And so what made the most sense to me really was, can I use my experience to somehow make an impact in the world? And I thought if I could maybe become a researcher was what I was thinking at the time. I could work in a lab and I'll find the gene that causes lupus. I'll, I'll find a new drug that could do it because that's really how we understand uh, healing disease, right? In the Western medical world is you need to find the right gene or you need to find the right drug. That's it. Mm -hmm. And even if you find the gene, you find the drug that's going to help it, right? So it's really all about pharmaceuticals. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of ironic that I had this dream that maybe I would find that perfect drug to heal it. And then what ended up happening is I found it in my salad bowl instead by accident. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I thought I'd be a researcher and I went to Carnegie Mellon and I, I pushed to become one of the youngest researcher at Carnegie Mellon. Usually they don't let you start till your junior year, but I just wouldn't stop harassing the, uh, the labs until somebody gave me an opportunity. And I started doing genetic research on leukemia and, and as a sophomore at college. And what I found was I loved the science. I did not love sitting in a lab with test tubes all day. I, it, was, it was just hurting my soul <laughs> because I'm a people person <laughs> and I wanted to help people. And what I realized was my talent really lied more in helping people feel safe, helping people find their joy, helping people not suffer. I realized if I could go through everything I went through and not suffer, but still be a happy person, then I could really make a dramatic impact on all the other people with chronic illness and help them also learn how to embrace their life and feel happy and alive in spite of a terrible diagnosis. And that's actually what brought me into uh, becoming a medical doctor instead. You mentioned some very interesting points there about getting your foot in the door and harassing the labs to actually get in, even though you were not technically allowed. I like to go back into actually your story as a 16 year old and just being hit with that with a major trauma like that and i believe we all live with with a certain level of trauma we all have the our inner demons that we're fighting inside but i guess when you're when you when you see some role models like yourself that have actually had near-death experiences it kind of kind of takes the breath away from you and you're kind of shrinks down your own problems and i'd like to ask you was there any like any specific mindsets or any specific role models that really helped you get through that 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 path and that that phase of your life you know, what, what I always tell people is that, you know, you, you don't want to focus on the pain. You don't want to make whatever your struggle is, whether it's, um, whether it's something emotional or whether it's uh, something devastating that's happened in your life or through your job, or if it's a horrible illness, that you don't want to make whatever that devastating thing is your identity, that you have to focus on what your gift is to the world. And so I had great role models in that area. My mother always kept me focused on, you know, there was never an option. Are you going to finish high school or are you going to college? It was, you have an AP bio test on Monday, but you have chemo Friday. So when are you going to study? <laughs> you know, so it was always very much this focus on the illness is something you have to handle because you've got work to do. <laughs> you've got stuff to accomplish. And so because of my mother, I really felt always, you know, I, I remember... I had to take seven pills every morning when I was going through all this. And so I had, a, uh, and I realized that if I took one pill at a time, it felt depressing. And I didn't want to focus on my illness any more than I had to. So I learned how to swallow seven pills at once so that I could just, I'd just take a mouthful of water, 
put all the pills in my mouth, swallow, and then, okay, what am I eating for breakfast? Like I didn't want to focus on illness any longer than I had to. And when I focused on it, it was only on what do I need to do to get this done so I can move on and then function today. And so that really helped me tremendously that I, you know, I was uh, a funny, nerdy, you know, uh, kid who was going to do something with their life. I wasn't lupus. I wasn't a patient. And that was really important. The, the other amazing role model for me was my grandmother. Well, actually both my grandparents, but my grandfather died when I was 14. But um, my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. And they endured living in a work camp during the Holocaust while uh, many family, many other family members were murdered. And they barely survived. I mean, starving to death through the war. And my grandmother has always told me that she's a lucky person. And she has all of these friends that have depression. Actually, she's one of the only ones left. She's 99. So most of her friends have died. But growing up, um, most of her friends really were depressed and angry all the time. And you can understand why. Uh, and yet mm -hmm. she was happy and felt lucky. And, you know, I, I remember her telling me a story once that really helped me understand why she was always so happy in spite of what she'd been through. I mean, how does a Holocaust survivor say that they're lucky, right? And she told me that when uh, they were released from the work camps, they had to go to a train station to go home, right? And so they were going to go home and figure out who in their family was still alive and, you know, try to rebuild their lives. And so there are all these poor people who have just been starving to death for two years are standing in this train station waiting for the train to come. And my grandmother said there was somebody in the train station, not in their group, obviously, but there was somebody in the train station who was playing music. And when she heard the music, she started dancing. And that image to this day, just I can't say it without getting tears in my eyes, but that's how she lives her life in the moment that, yes, they suffered and were tortured for two years. But in that moment, there was music. So she danced. And so that's very much how I live my life as well, that I'm always in the moment. And if I hear music, I dance, even if it's in the supermarket, which really embarrasses my children. Um, but, <laughs> but I really believe that we can't focus on the pain that we had, even if the pain was five minutes ago. If there's music now, if there's, if there's something beautiful, if I, you know, I sit right now, I'm next to a window and I get to see a, a squirrel run by with his mouth full of nuts and I laugh, you know, that there's always something that we can find to give us joy if we're looking for it. And so that's also something that's really inspired me throughout my life and it's the way I live my life. I cannot say how much, how much, I don't know, inspiration does not make it for, for the story that you just shared. I really, really am grateful that you were able to, to express that and share that. And you really seem like a very, very confident, very grounded woman. And I guess seeing you from the outside, it's easy to say that you have no internal problems, maybe besides the the phase during your sixteen year old wait when you were sixteen. Is there anything that you were that you ever struggled with personally in terms of emotional health later on? Emotional health, you know, I think that having been told I was going to die at sixteen, it really changed the way I look at problems. <laughs> so I, yeah. I think that's one of the gifts that I took away from illness is that you know, we never really know how long we have to live. We don't know what's ahead of us. Um, and so therefore, we should just live at full force at every moment. And so I don't really, I wouldn't say that I have really strong emotional struggles at all. I'm actually, I wake mm -hmm. up pretty damn happy every morning. 
I'd say the only time I've ever felt depressed in my life, it was not from being sick. It was from my first year of medical school. (laughs) (laughs) Medical school crushed my spirit when even lupus couldn't. Um, It was a really, really, I mean, for somebody who's social and, uh, you know, even in college, I absolutely adored studying. I, I adored my work, but medical school, it was, you know, I was isolated from my friends. I was studying 12 hours a day. Um, it was just intense. And uh, that I remember was the only time in my life where I ever felt depressed. And uh, and I was able to, you know, what helped me through that is, you know, I had to sit down and go, do I want to be a doctor? Because this is, this is horrible. I always tell people only become a doctor if it's the only thing your heart wants to do. Because there's a lot of great things you can do with your life that don't require you being 300 grand in debt, at least in our country, uh, and going through like horrible, depressing work (laughs) between medical school and residency and all that. Um, And so I I had to really sit down and think about that. And I remember, you know, I'd always been, I'm an only child and I was the star of the family. You know, I'm first born in America and I was living the American dream, you know. Um, When I got sick, that's part of why it devastated everyone so much. But I'd, you know, for to get straight A's even through through lupus and chemo and everything else, it was just like I, I never messed up. And so getting to medical school and realizing I don't know if I want to keep going anymore because this is not really this is hard and I don't like it and I'm not happy with my life right now. And I remember um, I had to realize who was I doing this for because I'd realized being that kind of you know, do-gooder, straight-A student, you know, known for overcoming all obstacles. Like, they created a new award for me in high school. Like, the, the I forget exactly what it was, but it was for, like, the greatest amount of, like, honor and courage. And so, you know, it was a lot to live up to. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Ugh, I don't even want to do this. So I was embarrassed and scared to tell my family that I might not. And I had to tell them, you know, I, I'm actually not doing well. Um, I don't know if this is what I want. Would you guys be disappointed in me if I didn't do this? And uh, and actually, that's when, you know, my, my father, who I looked up to so much, he actually cried. And he's like, I am already so proud of you. You could do anything you want. And and you're already, we're already proud. Do it because you want to. So when my, my dad gave me this release, I realized, you know, oh shit, I really do want to be a doctor. There's nothing I want more than this. But I think I needed I needed to know that it was only for me and that I wasn't just living to make everybody else proud. And so I think that's something, you know, some of us overachievers go through is that if you're only achieving to make other people proud of you, eventually you will burn out. You cannot do that forever. And so once I see, I felt like I was released from having to be any certain person or do anything, that's when I realized it was all I really wanted. And all of a sudden, then it became easy. I had no problem after that. It was just like, oh, I'm going to read for 12 hours a day. And that's great because this is for me. This is for my dream. So that's the only time that I really have felt that struggle. Um, and thankfully, it was it was short-lived and the support of my family really helped me through that. Um, and then, you know, after two years in medical school, I actually got sick again and started having mini strokes because of the lupus. And um, And I think that's really... What helped me through that as well is, you know, I did uh, I did cry for about two weeks when that happened. So, uh, you know, I'm not made of stone. And uh, at that point in my life, after having been in remission and and doing OK, you know, I was working 100 hour weeks as a medical student and not getting much sleep and under a lot of stress. And so I started getting double vision and I ended up collapsing in a clinic with this uh, mini stroke. 
And there was a couple of weeks where I just was crying because, you know, now I had to take blood thinners every day. I had to inject them into my stomach and they were telling me that was for life. Um, I'd never be able to have children, which I already knew, but it really made it more real um, because it could kill me to ever try to have children. And uh, that I probably, my lupus was aggressive enough that I probably wouldn't live a long life. I'd be lucky not to be handicapped by my 40s. So it was just, as a medical student, I understood much more deeply what it meant to have my disease because, you know, believe it or not, when I was diagnosed, there was no Google, there was no internet. So I didn't know exactly how badly I had it, you know, whereas nowadays when people are diagnosed, they get on Google and they're terrified for their lives. You know, I, I didn't, thankfully I was kind of uh, shielded from that, but that was really hard. And I, I spent a couple of weeks, I just cried it out. I let myself mourn. And then I don't know, something just switched in me again and said, wait, I'm still here. There's still a medicine that can help me. I'm just months away from achieving my dream of becoming a doctor. I already got my first choice of residencies out in UCLA and California. And I felt like the luckiest person on the planet. And I was like, nobody's as lucky as I am. Who gets to do all this? And then that's, <laughs> I was right back. So, you know, I don't, I think that when things happen, we have to mourn, we have to let ourselves feel the pain. And then we have to go back to gratitude. Um, because as long as we're still here, there's still more happiness and joy to be found. They say we need to be repeated 17 times whatever we want to learn for us to actually process and remember the information. So I'm going to say it over and over again. Make sure that whatever you've learned inside this episode, write it down in your notebook and go take massive action. Super important if you want a better life to not only put the knowledge inside your head, but spit it back out in the universe.